Hey everyone, Tom here, Alf Metallica, back with yet another episode. This is one of my little solo excursions. Today we are going to be looking at all the bands that have supported Metallica. I know it's a bit of a weird topic to indulge, but you know, this podcast, Metal Your Podcast, all the other guys, we've we've got to scour every surface, we've got to look in every nook and cranny for content, but to be honest with you, this is something that I am legit interested in anyway. Uh, If you've listened to the show at all, you know that one of the things that fascinates me are the obscure bands that were big at a certain time but have faded away and what are their history and you know who were these people who were supporting Metallica at these pivotal moments in their career and that's what we're going to do today this is going to be a two-part episode so we're going to run to about up to reload I think up to about the the late 90s and then continue from there because you know with Metallica's later tours especially with the worldwide and the world magnetic that that just really like so many supporters with the whole episode on that one tour so it made sense for my sanity to split it in half and basically what I'm going to do is go through each tour uh, point out each band elaborate on most of them I've done a little bit of research I'm going to play some songs as well or, or portions of songs just to get you an idea of what they sound like um, some of the bigger bands that Metallica have been with maybe I might skirt over because you know they've been covered and, and you're more familiar and also I should say that I've kind of had a little bit of a strict ruling on myself for no real reason where it's got to be a band actually supporting Metallica so if it's like the Orion Festival if it's like the Monsters of Rock or or if they're co-headlining or something like that I don't really count that I mean so the GNR one's a bit different because there were support bands on that stadium tour even though that's a bit of an uh, outlier as well but um yeah look the um the the, the nomenclature uh you you know our my working method here doesn't really matter does it it's about us talking about music and I want to hear from you guys as well so I've already put this on the Patreon I do want people to get in touch and, you know, who have you seen supporting Metallica? Maybe you, you know, you saw Tank in 1984 or maybe you were down there for Queensryche or Caius or, or, or whatever. What, what did you think of the bands? Uh, let me know. Hopefully on the second part of this, I'll have a few more emails to get to uh, from you, correspondence, you know, experiences and stuff like that. But yeah, as I mentioned before, the Patreon is there. If you enjoy the show, you want to get back to the show, all the episodes like this will go on there first. For instance, part two of this will be on the Patreon probably a month before it drops on the main channel. So yeah, if you enjoy the content and you want to give back it's greatly appreciated itunes leaves a review as well uh, check us out on spotify check us out on youtube um check us out on all the platforms you can find and you know if you can't find it metallicapodagymwatt.com get in touch with me there uh, at metallicapod as well on twitter but yeah let's get into it i mean just in terms of metallica's life history i guess their first proper tour was the kill em all for one tour that was kind of from the summer of 83 uh, to the beginning of January of 84, 52 shows. And, um, you know, they were basically kind of on a kind of label mates kind of idea, weren't they, uh, with Raven. So I'm not really counting that Anthrax and Exodus also played. Seven Dates of Hell as well followed where Metallica were the supporting act themselves uh, for Venom, um, you know, including when they performed at Ardshock Festival in front of like 7,000 people or something like that. Twisted Sister were also there for those 16 dates. But the first support band, to my mind, that, you know, ever laid it down for the boys, opened up 25 shows on the Bang That Head That Doesn't Bang tour. This is in Europe from November 16th to December 20th, 1984. That band is Tank. Now, I'm sure you probably don't know who Tank are, but I'm certain you could guess that they are uh, a new wave of British heavy metal stalwart. They were a band that Lars in particular was a giant fan of. 
So, you know, perhaps it made sense uh, for them to collude in this way. And Lars actually spoke about the band very briefly in passing, but um, one of these great Lars paragraphs about his love of this music. Quote, The new wave of British heavy metal became our new saviour. Anything we could get our hands on. Diamond Head, Angel Witch, Tigers of Pantang, Tank, Motorhead, Saxon, Iron Maiden, Girl School, Venom, Samson, Trust. We'd search high and low to find those records. So yeah, Tank are just, just one of many of like, who are some of these bands? Are they? Who are Samson? Who are Girl School? I think I've heard of, but obviously some really stick out as well. But um, yeah, Tank were there. Tank was, you know, helping the band out on their first major European tour. Uh, with an average crowd of around 1,300. They were formed in 1980, Tank, uh, by Algie Ward, who was a former member of The Damned, who, you know, legendary punk band, I think technically have the first punk single release in terms of that genre. Not too familiar with The Damned, to be honest with you, I I definitely need to listen more to their stuff. Um, But yeah, Tank are one of these new wave of British heavy metal bands, often compared to Motorhead. You know, they were both trios with singing bass players. They both played a kind of loose uh, punk-style music. But I actually... You know, look, guys, you know that I don't really like Motorhead. I find Motorhead quite boring. And it's funny, actually. I um, <laughs> I don't really game that much, but um, I bought a video game yesterday uh, on the PlayStation Store. Uh, what's it called? It's called, like, Trails Rising or something. It's like one of these kind of motocross games. It's kind of arcade games you just sort of pick up and listen to a podcast as you play or whatever. But Motorhead are on the soundtrack, and they have a song that I actually don't mind so i'm like oh this is kind of good when i'm fucking climbing these inclines but uh yeah i tank i think are a bit more energetic really and a bit brighter and a bit more compact and slightly more imaginative as well and i just want to play you the song on a play is a song called turn your head around from their debut album which you can find on youtube and i don't think it's really on spotify or anything like that but there's loads of bands called tanks so maybe it was their more a later incarnation but um yeah the fifth hounds of hades is this debut album and it's interesting i, I love going on youtube and seeing what comments people put under i don't know clips of movies or songs especially in albums and where they listen to it and their interpretive uh, criticism etc and sometimes you get these things where it's like is anyone else here from when this was in blah, blah? and like you know you get thousands of upvotes whatever so apparently tank uh, there's a poster of Tank in Max's room in Stranger Things. I don't really watch Stranger Things. Not really a fan of that show, to be honest with you. But that's fucking cool that Tank are there and it's drawing people towards it. So yeah, here's uh, Turn Your Head Around. Push forward now to the Damage Inc. tour. 142 dates on this tour. I might have to do an episode just on their tour history as well, rather than support thing. I mean, this is inadvertently kind of becoming that, but it but it would be good to do a bit more um, of a of a granular analysis. But um, Anthrax and Metal Church were on these dates. Not going to say too much about either of these bands. Neither of them really stuck with me, even with Metal Eater podcast going through the Anthrax record. I just yeah, like I I can totally imagine people listening to Megadeth. And just like rolling their eyes and not being interested. I know, I know, you know, Clint, for example, is in that boat. But loads of people are. Loads of my friends are. And I actually love Megadeth. And it's kind of like, you know, whatever. It's that with Amphrax. Maybe Slayer as well to me. I don't know. It's just Metallica and Megadeth from the big four are the only two that I actually consider worthwhile in a certain way critically. But I know I'm going to burn another bridge with more fans there. So uh, I'll move on quickly to the Damage Justice Tour. 
Now, some cool bands on this tour. First of all, in the Australian leg of the tour, they were supported by a band called Mortal Sin. Has anyone heard of this band? But yeah, they were up there with Metallica. And I messaged my friend Morris, actually. There's this, I've mentioned, I might have mentioned this guy before on the show. Long story short, he does musical podcasts over in Australia. He does a great show called Love That Album, where it'll just be him and a guest discussing an album at length. I've actually been on there twice. Uh, I discussed Joe Jackson's Heaven and Hell, which is his kind of Dante-esque suite of kind of uh, sickly, gloomy pop. So definitely check that one out. And we also did Harrow and the Harvest by Gillian Welsh and Dave Rawlings, which is one of my all-time favourite albums. I think it's one of the greatest Americana albums also I've ever heard. So yeah, he really knows his Australian music, really knows his music, really knows Australian music. And he has a son who's really into heavy Australian music. So I was like, Mortal Sin, does this ring any bells? Not to him, not to his son either. I think his son's maybe seen it in passing or something. But yeah, I don't think Australia really has a taste for thrash, maybe. Um, because these guys are real classical thrash. And they were one of the first bands to receive widespread recognition out from the land down under. So yeah, they were uh, they're apparently inspired by Metallica and Amphrax. Their 1987 debut, Mayhemic Destruction, was considered a minor thrash classic. And apparently Kerrang! magazine were tagging them as the next big thing. What happened is what always seems to happen with the follow-up was delayed or you know just didn't hit that was 1989's face of despair which i want to urge people check the album cover of face of despair it is this kind of cartoonish horror poster with just a, a litany of uh, uh, of sadistic cliches um but but yeah anyway mortal sin when Metallica came to Australia, uh, Mortal Sin were the main support there. I don't think they lasted much longer. Um, you know, they they, they opened uh, for Metallica's tour there, and I think they toured with Testament and Faith No More in Europe in 1990 after. But, yeah, nothing really happened. Uh, they did a disastrous benefit gig back in Sydney, apparently, where fans tore up a venue. Um, but Mortal Sin, you know, I've dabbled in this album here and there, kind of had it in the background writing notes. And it's really kind of vintage stuff, you know. It really kind of feels torn from that cloth. It doesn't feel like it's got an Antipodean kind of bent to it. Not that that'd be a bad thing, but it doesn't, you know, have that kind of croon to it. It just has a kind of quite sincere, faithful uh, metal energy. So, yeah, here's, um, here's Lebanon. <laughs> Also on the tour were Faith No More, The Cult, Danzig, and Queensryche. Now, Queensryche are a band that I'm slowly getting into. Uh, you know, I actually really enjoy their music. I just haven't really spent time with the back catalogue. You know, everyone has these blights, don't they? They just have these... You people talk about bands, you're like, I haven't actually heard any of those records. So I've listened to Operation Mindcrime, which I think is a fantastic concept album. Really, really digging that. Queensryche were on this, and apparently during VH1's classic That Metal Show, Jeff Tate, the singer, was on there, and he was talking about having the same management as Metallica back in the 80s and opening for them on the Giant Arena tour. And he said, quote, We toured Metallica during the Justice for All tour when we were releasing Operation Mindcrime, and that band, hats off to them, thank you guys. They shared their stage with us every night, shared their audience with us, gave us a leg up, and I've got nothing bad to say about Metallica. They've always handled themselves very well, I think. And then, so basically, Tate was then pressed for a funny Lars story, and he said, quote, 
Back in that day, we all party pretty heavy. So after the show, you unwind a little bit, have a few drinks, and sometimes you'd have a few too many. But he'd always come on the bus. Hey, how are you guys doing? How are you doing? He was usually dressed in tennis shoes and a robe, and he would urinate on our bus. And the next day, the tour manager would hand him a bill, and he'd pay it. And the next time he'd show up, he'd do the same thing. He was like a serial urinator. We used to tease him about it. God, we come on the Metallica tour, and you piss on us. So, yeah, Lars used to, <laughs> Lars used to piss on... Uh, Fucking Operation Minecrimes vessel there. Not, not not quite sure what that fixation was, but um, pretty cool little anecdote. And I, the song I want to play is a song called Revolution Calling. Check this one out. Into the Black Album touring cycle, which kicked off with the Wherever We May Roam tour. Still one of the coolest names for a tour ever, by the way. But uh, I'm, sh- I'm sure as um, a lot of you are aware, there were no support acts uh, on this tour, pretty much. Uh, they dispensed with supporting acts. It was billed as, on the tickets, uh, an evening with Metallica slash no opening act. So instead, there was a video presentation before the concert that was shown, that st- which lasted about 20, 25 minutes. And, it, you know, including in it is, like, clips of local sites near the venue, Metallica shopping in local stores. I need to do some episodes on some of this footage, actually. I bet there's some good stuff there. Uh, Roadies prepping the arena. Lars walking around backstage giving introductions, reciting band history, and other members engaging in various hijinks. And then the video would conclude with a montage of Enter Sandman with film clips of the good, the bad, and the ugly. However, they did have a support act for a few dates from June 19th to July 5th, 1992, the year I was born. Who were that band? I'll give you one second. Yes, it was Metal Church. Metal Church were there. I'm not quite sure why, but they were on that time. Next up is, and kind of, I just want to touch on this briefly because I've done a whole episode one of my favourite ever episodes of Alpatalica. Again, another solo episode. One of the most downloaded episodes, actually, I think, of all time, which is really cool. Got a lot of views on YouTube as well. Um, Guns N' Roses and Metallica. Obviously, the 1992 stadium uh, tour. Um, and I've done a kind of diary of it. It's kind of like a 40, 45 minute. I go through each stop and any stuff that happens. And, you know, we talk about the support bands as well. So, obviously, it's GNR, Metallica, Metallica opening up, GNR closing. Um, but Faith No More were on the tour. Um, I think they had a lot of problems with Axel uh, and Body Count came on as well uh, Ice-T's Body Count I think they started in Kansas City uh, in September of 92 Mohead were on the last three dates uh, Dice Clay Dice Clay from uh, Star Is Born Blue Jasmine and um, sticking pencils at people's asses he was there uh, and he uh, introduced Guns N' Roses on the Rose Bowl in Pasadena so that's pretty fucking cool so yeah there are a few bands here and there on there, um, jotting in and out, but uh, yeah, that was a legendary fucking meeting. Uh, probably the last giant rock thing to go down, maybe, in terms of like just huge totemic event. Uh, you know, I don't know, get back to me. Again, let me know, guys, if you've seen any of these bands that I've spoken about, support Metallica. Uh, I would love to hear your stories. I know it's hazy. Like, when I went on that Pearl Jam podcast, you know, we had to talk about me going to Ren in 2006. I had to rewatch the whole shit. It wasn't like any of it... Ca- Even when I rewatched it, I was like, did this actually happen? Did they play Crown of Thorns? I, I love this song. I just don't really remember. So, uh, yeah. GNR Metallica, check out that episode. Next up was the Nowhere Left to Rome tour. Now, this is cool. Um, on the Australian run, again, had more than before. Now we get Caius. 
And it's a rare thing, Caius, I'm sure people are aware, uh, kind of a predecessor to Queens of the Stone Age, uh, Josh Homme. I think he was 19 when he was supporting Metallica here with Caius, which is fucking crazy. And we got the whole show from the Melbourne date uh, from the 3rd of April 1993. So I'll just play a clip of it here. Ben is, Josh is, or maybe was, a pretty combative person in the press, and doing a bit of research on this, I was surprised to hear him, uh, you know, he, he he's not Jeff Tating at all, he's slandering the boys, so um, this just comes from an article in line saying, in an era when Metallica and Pantera were the biggest metal bands in the world, legendary Palm Desert Generator soldiers, Caius, were too metal for the grunge crowd, and too rock for most headbangers, quote, we were totally against those bands, former Caius guitarist Josh Homme, now of Queens of Stone Age, told Decibel magazine, and really, the amount of shit that Metallica borrowed from us is frustrating, it was strange. Caius famously opened for Metallica in Australia in 93. Metallica's sound man promised Caius to have a full PA during their set, but quickly changed his mind after Caius plugged in and turned on. We douche them, Homie laughed. On a frequency spectrum, we were like a brick wall until you hit the high end, and then there was no high end. I mean, high end if not fun for anybody. You don't party with high end. Years later, Homie was playing with Queens at Slims in San Francisco, high in ecstasy, and being interviewed about his Metallica experience, quote, This guy I knew was making a move about Metallica, and I was trying so hard not to say something negative. I think I talked about the rider or something. Um, so, yeah, is Josh in that doc? I'll have to go back and watch that and, uh, and look out for him. But, um, yeah, apparently... Um, on, after that date, uh, so they did nine shows with them. After the first show, they were only allowed to use half the PA system for the rest of the concert. So Caius do have that kind of, you know, it's it, it's that kind of amplified Joshua Tree kind of like ethereal body shock that comes, you know, um, some awesome albums there that they put together. But uh, yeah, check out the footage of that as well. Um, there's the whole clip of them doing a, like a 20 minute set or something like that. And it's really good. And like so many people in the comments saying that they became like lifelong Caius fans from that day like seeing them there being front row or whatever and uh, regardless of that bad blood there that I'm sure is boiled over now they still put the fuck on like you know really really great support act suicidal tendencies were also on this tour suicidal with Rob in the saddle at that point and you know I've said this before on the show and I'm probably gonna have to do a whole episode on Tony Hawk's Pro Skater and its influence on my musical taste particularly the first four games basically uh suicidal on there probably the heaviest song i ever heard so i'm about to play you the song of theirs psycho vision i don't think rob's on this i think this is maybe just after rob left or just before or something but i know for a fact he's not playing bass on this track um so yeah this is a brief song i think it's like one minute 30 or something like that i would have heard this little tom quee at like four five or something like that and this was just it didn't like terrify me it just kind of was there you know just sort of got on with it but i've always loved this song ever since i hope they played psycho vision when they supported australia but uh yeah here's suicide tendencies <laughs>
into 94 with the Shit Hits the Sheds tour. This is 51 dates from May 28th, 1994 to August 21st. And this included the Woodstock performance as well, which we won't really count as like supporting the bands or whatever. But a lot of cool support on this tour, actually. And a big variety as well. This was kind of, you know, live shit, binge and purge kind of era, victory lap. Like they'd already dominated the world so many times. And it was just... You know, I love that this is effectively like the fourth leg of like the Black Album cycle. That's absolutely incredible. But, you know, these guys are on top of the world right now. And to reflect that Candlebox was supporting them for some reason. Suicidal were also in the fold. Danzig, Fight as well. What we've got here, you know, as as, as a podcaster, as someone who likes to research these things... You, like a historian, you need these documents, first-hand sources. And what's very cool, we've got a variety review that reviews all the support as well. So that really kind of spells out uh, what, what the vibe was. So this is from Variety. This is for, the, I believe, this is for the Phoenix, Arizona date at the Desert Sky Pavilion. This is July 27th, 1994. Former Judas Priest frontman Rob Halford's current speed metal project, Fight, open the day with a forgettable selection of screamers from its forgettable epic debut war of words so yeah fight i'm i'm like queensrike judas priest never quite done it for me to be honest with you um i actually kind of like queensrike a bit more than judas because i can't say there's many judas priest songs that i really find engaging or edifying or 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 nourishing like it's kind of a bit droney and a bit kind of hysterical and I, I, I don't i don't really know but um the important thing is they're a giant band so a little bit of history on fight when halford left priest in the early 90s i think he was in the band for like two decades uh he refocused with a new band called fight uh which he co-founded with priest drummer scott travis uh there was also russ parish and brian tills on guitar and bassist jj and they recorded their first album uh war of words in 1993 just the year before this tour and it was kind of a step back from the old school tendencies and cartoon metal lyrics of priest into a more sleek fresh orientated kind of approach like pantera and kind of had quite an intense sound and more topical and socially relevant lyrics and i think you know it was a bit of a hit with halford fans but uh, most people probably don't really remember this for the most part but you know really cool that he was out there so yeah uh let's play a little bit of war of words uh this is um the title track and to me rob sounds very axel-esque on this one into Rob's back catalogue as well Voyeurs uh, is an album by Two which was basically his follow up to this fight release um, and it was a collaboration between him and John Five um, you know of Marilyn Manson Rob Zombie and just all together it was with David Lee Roth as well fucking love John Five I think he's a wonderfully talented guy but yeah that's real like industrial metal kind of ideas kind of 
post Atticus Ross kind of things, you know, Reznor getting his um, ghosts on, if anyone knows that Nine Inch Nails instrumental batch that is, yeah, absolutely blows me out of the water. Just going back to the um, Variety article, Maverick Records, it's interesting how, because it's a Variety article, it's all like, his epic debut, Maverick Records is, uh, it's like, Candlebox played a late afternoon set of pop metal tracks from its platinum eponymous debut, including MTV rock radio hit Far Behind, the semi-ballad Change, and its catchiest track, You. Part of this Seattle scene-inspired band's Candlebox possesses a number of likeable, if disposable, songs. Though the band lacks any distinguishable hook or sound that might indicate long-term import. And, oh yeah, I have to completely agree with that. Candlebox, to me, are baffling. I mean, from what I gather, they were kind of in the backwash of the grunge movement. You know, quite popular because the genre was still very popular. But they're really watered-down version of a genuine article. You know, they're rooted in the more bluesier hard rock sound and the kind of more punk metal elements of grunge. Um, they are, you know, I've said this before on the show, one of the ugliest things you can ever deem um, a musical article is is post grunge, and they are post grunge. Um, but they 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 were huge from what I gather. I mean, clearly they were huge to come back on. I think Alice in Chains was supposed to be the act instead of them, which makes a lot more sense. Um, but due to Lane's drug addiction, they were basically forced to rescind the offer. So um, Candlebox came on, and I think Jerry Cantrell came on for Whom the Bell Tolls uh, on August 9th, 1994. So um, still good to see him there. I'll have to check out footage of that. Actually, I've just seen that written down. Yeah, Candlebox were there as well. <laughs> Maybe you guys like Candlebox. Here's a bit of Candlebox. This is a song called You. Touring Me is now here, and the bands are kind of, you know, bands that you would expect of this time. Corn were there. Corn who just, yeah, don't mind Corn, don't like despise them or anything like that, but never really stuck with me. Um, and that kind of loose, belchy bass string has always antagonized uh, somewhat. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, they, they, they helped the boys later on on their kind of that new metal scorch the earth tattoo the whatever it was called you know when they came in uh master Terror and system and stuff like that so f- for that i'll always respect the guys but corner kind of corn you know corrosion of conformity was also there you know uh, the main support it seemed as well uh, i think wise blood uh man or ash you know that was all out there uh, clean my wounds as well what a terrific song with guitar playing on that it's just you know, really really kind of spellbinding um and james was on man or ash obviously uh and pepper spoke about getting on the tour and james being on the album and such he says quote we were actually mixing the record in new york and metallica was mixing one of their records in new york and me and het were hanging out on a daily basis we meet at a little bar in manhattan and just talk about the day's events and how everything was going 
We struck up a good friendship, and he helped out on a song and a record, and it went from there. He actually got the guy, Mike Fraser, to mix the record for us that was a guy who'd mixed some live Metallica stuff, so he got that set up as well, and we just went from there. The next thing I know, it was like, do you guys want to come on tour with us? And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? That was another thing that Columbia was pissed about. You know, the record was too harsh, didn't have a hit. We wrote a fucking hit. We got nominated for a Grammy, then Hetfield offers a three-year tour with Metallica. Everything they were seeing was fucking wrong. It was bizarre. They were like, what do you mean you've got a three-year tour with Metallica? They were trying to kill it because they didn't fucking like the record. I mean, again, record labels being absolute assholes, no surprise there, but, um, you know, their friendship with Pepper and James is wonderful. I'd love to hear them go on It's Electric together or something like that, but, you know, quite fiercely private men, I assume, and, you know, that, that that's kind of like their want. But, um, yeah, Corrosion were there, and Soundgarden were there. Soundgarden, one of my all-time favorite bands, Soundgarden, if I could clone myself and just do multiple podcasts and not worry about the time and the effort, I'll be doing, uh, you know, Alpha Telegraph and Soundgarden, instantly like you know i just for me i think they would have been on the down on the upside cycle at this point as well which is the follow-up to super unknown which is just as good in my opinion uh, i think those two records paired with bad Mo- i mean paired with everything really uh king animal uh I, i'm still a little skeptical of but um yeah just adore all those guys so again really good lineup so now we're on the final tour paul retouring me tour this went from 98 to 99 kind of snm kind of era here that took place within this tour and Jerry Cantrell is there Jerry Cantrell is solo um I think this would have been around the time of Boggy Depot um and I'm you know really really big fan of Jerry's work I've listened to that album quite a bit Cut You In let me just play a bit of Cut You In here love this one I call you up never on stone with you the skin choke on the bones you absolutely incredible songwriter like consider the tracks that he's laid down on those early Alice records and, and and beyond as well I know people are saying Rainier Fog's really good I've not really listened to it um Black Gives Way to Blue I think the first Alice album that came back I sort of liked it was a little too um pensive perhaps in places and kind of allowed riffs to languish but uh you know he's a lot tighter I think on these early stuff like Boggy Depot so definitely check that out he was there and um you know I've got to say dear listeners like this is a band that i never really heard of like you know there are these things that are huge over here or huge over there that just never cross over for whatever reason and it's baffling but then you think well there's, there's an ocean in between and there's millions of acts as well in our ears so uh days of the new days of the new were there i'm sure a lot of you guys are thinking tom days of the new fucking yeah they're like, they're like you know they're like busted over here i don't know if busted a big in the u.s and mcfly and stuff like that but basically these guys are from uh, louisville kentucky uh, via charlestown and they were a teenage alt-rock quartet that again had that sort of post-grunge heavy rock sound um travis meeks their frontman was only 17 at the time that they recorded their debut and they got really popular kind of in that world you know in that kind of that generation that had missed out on the likes of Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and Nirvana, you know, firsthand at least, and maybe it'd be, this was their own band, a new crop of sort of similarly styled ideas, and 
they kind of have more of an acoustic sound, um, you know, a bit more of a tranquil delivery. Uh, the main guy has a kind of Lane Staley, kind of Jim Morrison kind of idea. But yeah, I think they released the album in 97. Um, it was a big hit with the MTV crowd on the strength of Touch, Peel and Stand, which is kind of a jam low-key. Like, I actually quite like this song. Check this out. Won't you touch me, touch me? But yeah, it came out in 97, that record, and then in the summer of 98, they were opening for Metallica. I don't really know how they would have been received. I'd be interested if anyone saw on this tour. I know it wasn't too long ago, so I know a lot of listeners probably have. But uh, yeah, those guys were down there, days of the new. I don't think they've gone on to do much else beyond that, to be honest with you. But, you know, what an accolade. And I might check out that album a little bit more. It's a little more palpable, uh, perhaps, than... Um candle box but the video the the supposedly very popular mtv video which i'm sure it was watching it is so 90s in the sense where the main guy's on a tv set in a room and like a girl's watching him and touching the static and stuff and he's kind of you know philandering I, I i i don't know days of the new there so um yeah guys that's all the support bands up to about 99 um, we've got a lot to get through in the next episode so in the next episode we're going to be talking about kind of like Metallica's sort of small tour they did um their own sort of mini festival uh summer sanitarium ideas as well um and then the bigger tours as well the madly in anger the world tour had a lot of cool bands on it the um uh the world magnetic tour had a ridiculous because they went to so many places on the world magnetic tour considered the world magnetic tour was like 50 shows longer than the say anger tour 187 um and you know the, yeah they uh just went all over the planet and a lot of they'll, they'll, they'll you know they'll go over to like i don't know chile or something i know they go to a lot of foreign places and just have like their local band they kind of like mortal sin it and stuff like that like they have tons of people like uh discord from caracas and um you know down and fear factory were in the mix and mastodon and uh hawkers <laughs> in buenos aires and then lamb of god playing a lot of those dates as well then we'll get on to the worldwide stuff but um Again, I just want to say, if you've seen any of these bands, get in touch with me, MetallicaBard at gmail.com. I'm really looking forward to reading out those emails. I'll probably bring this episode out in about two weeks. The first time you can hear it, though, will be on the Patreon. So um, if you've dug this and you want to listen to more content, support us on there. Leave us a review on iTunes. Get in touch with me at that email, at MetallicaBard as well. Uh, we've got lots of cool songs coming on. I mean, by the time this comes out, we'll still be doing the songs just about. But uh, yeah, loads more material also in the future. This has been Tom, Al Metallica. Thanks as always. 